All right, wonderful. Yes, we're going to do our best. This is going to be short, sharp, and sweet. Um, and basically what we're going to look at here is going to really add to what we have already studied this evening. Um, and uh, let's start with a word of prayer as we need the Holy Spirit again to direct us in our study of His Word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a wonderful opportunity to be gathered to study your word. Lord, there were many people in the past that wished they could do that, but they even, yeah, their lives were in danger, uh, Lord, as they opened this book. But here we are, uh, and thank you for the opportunity we have. And I pray that you will speak to us through your word this evening, and that your word may come alive, and that we may see something of you that draws us closer to you. For this we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, what we're going to do to now is um, we are going to have a look at the law of God or the Ten Commandments of God. Uh, and the reason why I placed this presentation or this study right after the one that we just looked at is because when you look at um, the reason why many people are turning away from religion today has to do with a wrong understanding or a false understanding of the law or the Ten Commandments of God. Many people will look at the Ten Commandments and they'll think, you know, the Ten Commandments is just this list of don'ts, do's and don'ts and mostly don'ts. And, and they'll be like, you know, I don't want that kind of a thing. I don't want that kind of a religion or that kind of an experience, this God that is just telling me what I can't do. And so they turn away. And um, the, um, the religious structures many times have been successful in turning away people from God because there's been a misrepresentation of who he is. And this mis misrepresentation has often manifested itself through the Ten Commandments, through the law of God. And so we're going to just use, uh, we're going to do a short study here, and we're going to kind of revisit the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and see if they are really a list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts, or if they have something else for us. Are they actually a beautiful revelation of the character of God as well? Well, we're going to find out. Um, let's go right into this. Uh, this I'm just going to skip this. Um, we basically looked in our first presentation at how, you know, God is the potter, we're the clay. We've turned that many times upside down but we want to get back to allow God to portray himself for the one that he is. We want him to be the potter. We want to be the clay. We want to be able to look into scripture, look into his law to understand his character. And the law of God has a very central part to play in this whole great controversy that we're involved in. Because really in the beginning, when Lucifer revolted against God, when he uh, basically, when this whole great controversy started, it really started around the law of God. Lucifer said it can't be kept. This is an arbitrary law. This is not good stuff. And so this controversy breaks out in heaven. This controversy has continued here on this earth. And it is ever the agenda of Satan, the devil, to misrepresent God. Now, you wake up in the morning and you have a to-do list and you kind of check off your list. The devil, you know, wakes up in the morning and he has on his to-do list one thing misrepresent God. Oh, I did that yesterday. I'm going to do that today again. And he does it tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. This is his one thing on his to-do list. Misrepresent God. Misrep and how can he best do that? Let's do it through a religious organization that people look to and expect to see God. 
And so, and he has succeeded in misrepresenting God through also the very things of God. Now, what is dearest to God? What is, what is the very foundation of the throne of God? It's his Ten Commandments, his law. If he can take that and misrepresent God through that, well, then he's achieved his goal. But we need to get back to the word of God and allow the law of God to take its proper place and allow the Ten Commandments not to be the list of do's and don'ts that turns us away from God, but actually a revelation of his character that draws us to God. Us to God. Amen? So let's take a look. Um, I like to look at it this way. I like to think of it this way, and I think this will be helpful for you. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, really has two functions. How many functions? Two functions. Function number one, the Ten Commandments are a revelation of sin. In other words, we know what sin is when we have the Ten Commandments. In other words, if there were no commandments, no law of God, then we wouldn't know what sin actually is. And if we don't know what sin is, we don't see our need of a savior from sin, and actually really the whole gospel plan falls into nothing. So the very first and important function of the law is it's like, I like to put it this way, it's like a mirror. You look into the mirror of the law of God, and it reveals you the one that you are, your, your circumstances, your situation, and it's not a very beautiful picture, it's not a very pretty picture. And uh, when we see our need, right, then we turn to a Savior that can save us from our sin. So the law is like that mirror. Whoa, whoa, that's true about me? Whoa, I need salvation. I need Christ. So that's the first function. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans 7, verse 7. I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. You know, so we understand when we look into the law, we understand our need for Jesus. Does that make sense? That's one of the functions of the law, a revelation that we are sinners in need of a Savior. If we didn't have the law, we would not understand our need. But now when we have the law, we, we realize our need and we realize our sin. Many Christians stop there. And that is, you know, they go through life, okay, the law is the revelation of sin. So every time I look in the law, oh, 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 oh I look bad. I need Jesus. Now, that is an important function, and I don't want to downplay it at all, it re and, and, that and that function continues in the life of the Christian, because every time you, you fall, the law reminds you again your need of Jesus. But we can't stop there, because the law of God also has a second function, and that is when the law of God is now written in our hearts and in our lives, the law of God first was a revelation of the, of us as sinners, but now it becomes also a revelation of the character of God or the beauty of God or the love of God. And that is really amazing that God can actually give 10 commandments that they at the same time can be a mirror that, re, that reflects our lives and that show us that we are sinners and at the same time can also be a reflection of the beautiful, amazing love and character of God. Now, how do I know that? Is that just something that I made up? I don't think so. I think Scripture supports this. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, um, this is the covenant that God wants to establish with each one of us. And this is in the New Testament book. This is the new covenant that God wants to make with us. And we read the following. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. So God says, I want to write my commandments, and I want to write them in your heart, in your mind. You know, first time he wrote down his commandments, he wrote it on stone, right? But he didn't want to just write it on stone. He wanted also to write it in the hearts of the people. That's always been his desire. And he wants to write it in your heart and in my heart. 
And then he adds to that in verse 17, he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So this is the deal. God says, okay, I want, I want you to make a covenant with me, an agreement with me. I, not you, I, God, he says, I will write my commandments in your heart, in your life. In other words, I will bring my commandments into your life. And if that's not enough, I won't remember your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I say yes to that deal. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's amazing. I mean, thank you, Jesus. Amen? And so this is, this is the covenant that he establishes with us, okay? Now, when God's commandments are written in our hearts, listen very carefully, they are no longer outside of us. Now, in the first function of the law, the law is like a mirror. It's outside of us. We look at the commandments. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That reveals something about us, our need of Jesus. We go to Jesus. Jesus comes into our life. And when Jesus comes into our life, the perfect commandments come into our life because Jesus was sinless. And he he, he perfectly kept the law. So when he comes into our lives, he brings the commandments into our lives, right? And he writes them on our hearts. Because in, our, in and of ourselves, we can't keep the commandments. It's impossible. We have no strength to do that. I mean, it is just as impossible for us to keep the commandments as it was impossible for Peter to walk on water. You know, Peter had a sinking nature. His nature was to sink. And you and I have a sinful nature and just as natural it was for Peter to sink, so it is just as natural for us to sin. We cannot keep the commandments of God in our own strength, but as Peter looked to Jesus, he could do what was humanly speaking impossible. He could walk on water as long as he looked to Jesus. And as long as you and I trust in the power and victory of Jesus, we can actually keep the commandments. But it's not us keeping, but it's Jesus keeping them in us. Does that make sense? And so that's the covenant that he wants to establish with us. He wants to write his commandments in our hearts. Now, that's why this verse makes so much sense in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it ends with this phrase that has puzzled me for a while, but now makes perfect sense for me in what I just presented. It says, Against such against those characteristics, that fruit of the Spirit, that character of Jesus, against such there is what? No law. Against such there is no law. Interesting phrase. Now, when the law was outside of us, like a mirror, that law was against us, right? We were under the condemnation of that law. But when the commandments are written in our hearts and the fruit of the Spirit is brought into our lives, against such there's no law. Against such there's no condemnation. So that you, there's no mirror that you look at and you are condemned because the law that was once outside of you has now been written in your heart. Does that make sense? So, how does that happen? The, the law is written in our heart by God himself and it happens once we understand the commandments as a revelation of the character of God. And so for the remaining time now, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments very quickly and we're going to look at each and every commandment and how it reveals the character of God. Does that sound good? All right, let's have a look. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, that's the chapter where you find the Ten Commandments, even before the first commandment is given, which is given in verse 3, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, before the first commandment is given, God speaks the following words in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. And these words are important, by the way. Many times we skip them and we go right to the first commandment in verse 3. But the first two verses lay the whole foundation for every commandment that follows. Listen to what it says. And God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The reason why we skip those verses is because we say, oh, that's about the Hebrews. They were in bondage, they were in slavery, that's not about me. And so I can just go right to verse 3. Wrong. Because what the Hebrews experienced in Egypt is a typology or a symbolic picture of what all of us experience through the bondage of sin. So we have all been in Egypt, and we all need to come out of that bondage. Now, how do we come out of that bondage? This is fascinating. Uh, when you go to the story of Egypt, we don't have time to read all of this, so this is the real short version here. But you will remember that Moses comes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them go. And so plagues start falling on Egypt. How many plagues fell on Egypt? Ten plagues. The first plague did not result in the exodus. The second did not result in the exodus. The third did not result in the exodus. It took ten plagues, and the tenth plague was kind of the turning point. And Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here. And something happened at the same time as the tenth plague. And the tenth plague was that the angel of destruction came through the land and he slew every firstborn of the Egyptians. But the people of God, the Hebrews, were protected from that plague. And what they had to do is they had to take a lamb, you remember this? And they had to slay the lamb, take the blood, and put it on their doorpost. And this was what, what later became known as the Feast of Passover. And it really, you know, the, the Feast of Passover... Um, you can really think of it this way. When the angel came through the land, he passed over the homes where the blood was on the doorpost. Now, the blood of the lamb was a picture of who? Of Jesus. And actually, they, this also in Egypt was the first place that they introduced the Jewish year. And so God said to you, you know what? When you keep this feast of Passover, this is the first month of the Jewish year from now on. This is the 14th day that you slay the lamb. And guess what? When Jesus comes on the scene... He was crucified exactly on the 14th day of the first Jewish month. So the sacrifice of the lamb in Egypt was a picture of none other than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now get this. At the foundation of the Ten Commandments is Jesus crucified. So that every single commandment that follows is on the foundation of the slain lamb, Jesus Christ. So it is like this. In the power of the blood of Jesus, you won't have any other gods before me. In the power of the blood of Jesus, you don't need to carve out those idols anymore. In the power of Jesus, you don't need to take the name of God in vain. Amen. It's all in the power of Jesus. This is the very foundation. Now let's look at the first commandment. This is just a, sum, uh, a short synopsis of it here on the screen. You can go back and read through Genesis chapter 20 where you have the elaborate description of each commandment. No other gods before me. God says, no other gods before me. Now, many times we look at that commandment and, uh, you know, in, in, in the first function of the law, when it's like the mirror, the law is outside of us, we look at that, and, and, and it condemns us because, hey, I have a lot of gods. I have a lot of gods, you know, small g, um, I have a lot of things in my life that take the place of God. And so we look into the commandment and, whoa, I'm not living, I need a Savior, I need a Savior. And when we turn to Christ and we take a hold of salvation and God writes his commandment in our heart, then this commandment that once condemned us becomes now a beautiful promise of God because what God is actually saying is, you don't need any other gods, I will be everything for you. Isn't that beautiful? 
You don't need anything else. Before we thought, oh, I need this and I need this and I need this to make my life complete. But now when God writes that commandment in my heart, it's not about what I need. God, you're everything for me. You satisfy my greatest need. You fill my greatest need. And, and, and oh, I know now that you, you keep your promise, God. You are everything to me. So instead of, you shall not have any other gods before me, like we often say it and think it, and it turns us away from him, it is God saying, you don't need any other gods. I will be everything for you. Isn't that beautiful? Now, the second commandment, oh, and by the way, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, just really underlines what we just discussed, what, we just, what I just said. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In other words, this, this man that finds this treasure understands that the treasure is more worth than everything else that he owns. And when you come to the point in your experience that God becomes that great treasure, that Christ becomes that treasure, you'll be willing, up to give any other, you'll be willing to give up any other God, any other thing that is in the place of Christ. No bowing down or serving images. Now we think again of this commandment oftentimes in a sense of a um, you know, um, historic, ancient, you know, commandment, because certainly today we don't have any idols. Well, we have different kind of idols today. We, not, we might not have idols made of silver and gold and wood. We might not have metal idols, but we have mental idols. We have many times a wrong picture or wrong understanding of who God in reality is. And so, again, we look into the mirror of God's commandments and we see, wow, yes, we have actually many other images that we have made. You know, even in our mind, we've made images of God. Remember the uh, clay, uh, potter clay analogy? Instead of allowing God to create us in his image, we create God in our own image, which is really a mental idol. But then, when we allow God to write his commandment in our hearts, again, this commandment that once condemned us becomes a beautiful promise of the Lord. Because when you look at it, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, it tells us the following. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, very simple principle, by beholding, we become changed. So God is saying in the second commandment, you don't have to, you don't have to invent what you believe that I'm like. You don't have to make your own picture of me. I will reveal myself to you. You don't need to make idols, whether they're metal or mental idols. I will reveal myself to you. And that's exactly what he does in Scripture. And by beholding him, we become changed. Amen? It becomes a beautiful promise that you and I can embrace. We're going to skip this. I wish I could cover it, but time does not allow. Let's go to commandment number three. Um, commandment number three tells us that we are not to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, isn't that interesting? When you think about this commandment, for a long time I thought about it as the pronunciation of the name of God. So, or, you know, or the misuse of the pronunciation of the name of God. But this goes so much deeper than that. When you do a little word study in Scripture and you actually look at the name of God, you look up the word name in a Bible concordance and you find the different references where that is mentioned, you will find out very quickly that the name of God is talking about the character of God. You know, in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, Moses asks a question. He says, 
please show me your glory. He's talking, about, talking to God, and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says the following, listen to this. Then he said, God speaking to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the what? The name of the Lord before you. So the name of God is synonymous to the glory of God or his character. And right after that, we don't have time to read this, but in Exodus 34, basically, Moses takes, uh, God takes Moses up on the mountain, he passes by before him, and he proclaims his character. Fascinating. And when he proclaims his character, he's proclaiming his name. So when the commandment says to not take the name of the Lord God in vain, it's really saying don't misrepresent the character of God. So first, we are doing that. We look in the mirror and our lives are in many ways misrepresenting the character of God. But then when we embrace the commandment and the commandment is written in our heart, suddenly it becomes a promise. And you know what God says? He says, I will write my name in your life. You will represent who I am. You know what? Uh, in the book of Revelation, you read about this group of people called the 144,000. And when you study this group, it, it seems to, 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 to um, indicate that this is the group of people that is living when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. These are those that have really followed Jesus in all, in all things. And the Bible tells in Revelation that the name of God is written on their foreheads. This doesn't mean that they have some kind of a tattoo on their foreheads. This means that the character of God is ingrained in their minds and in their hearts. Amen? And that is the promise of God. Now, the fourth commandment, which we're, by the way, going to talk more about tomorrow, is the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. And again, when you look into the mirror of God's law and its first function, and it reveals, you know, we look at it and we see, wow, you know, we're not doing that. Much of the Christian world at large is not keeping the Sabbath holy. As a matter of fact, the very commandment that, begun, that begins with the word remember is the commandment that is most forgotten. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow, the forgotten commandment. And, and it says, remember the seventh day to keep it holy. But when we now allow God to write his commandment in our hearts, the Sabbath becomes this incredible, beautiful, amazing revelation of who God is. Because when you look at the Sabbath, and, and we're going to talk much more about this tomorrow, but it reveals, Scripture reveals that the first time that you encounter the Sabbath is in Genesis chapter 2, and it is the seventh day that God sanctifies. Now, God could have sanctified a place or an object, but instead he decides to sanctify time. Now, that's quite significant because in many religions today, either a place is sanctified or an object is sanctified. You know, you think about Islam, for example, they have a sacred place. That's Mecca. And once in a lifetime, you're supposed to make, you know, your pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, a lot of, you know, you, you go to Hinduism or other religions, they have sacred objects. Very important that they have those objects in their homes. But God, in the beginning, does not sanctify a place or an object. He sanctifies time. Now, that is so significant because time is not something that you go to, but it comes to you. It's always coming to you. Think about it for, like, like this. If someone would lock you up in a prison and you couldn't move, you couldn't move, you can't go to the sacred place. You can't have access to the sacred object. Time is always coming. The seventh day, which is sanctified by the Lord our God, is always on the move. Everyone has access to it because it's always coming to us. When the first day begins, the seventh day is coming. When the second day is coming, we're closer to the seventh day. God is always on the move and he's always coming to you. And this is a revelation of his character. Amen? 
And so what we see in the seventh day commandment is that God is revealing himself that he is coming to us. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Let's go to the next commandment here. Uh, basically, the first four commandments, a little summarization of the first four commandments, are really that they are a revelation of the relationship between God and us. The first commandment, no other gods before me, God is saying, saying let me have all your affections, right? Uh, no bowing down or serving images, let me have your body. All of us, all our complete being is to belong to God. No taking of the Lord's God, the Lord's name in vain. Let me have your words. Keep the Sabbath holy. Let me have your time. Now let me ask you something. Someone that wants your affections, your body, your words, and your time. If I would have to choose one person that has that for me, it's my wife. That's why God is actually saying, this is the kind of relationship that I want with you. Christ is the bridegroom. The church, the people of God, are the bride. Amen? And so God wants, Christ wants this intimate, beautiful, amazing relationship with us, covenant with us, which is pictured by a marriage. Quite fascinating indeed. Now, um, Jesus sums this up in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 to verse 40. He says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God, represented in the first four commandments. Love your neighbor, represented in the latter six. Upon these hang the law and the prophets. Isn't it interesting? Some people say, oh, we don't need the Ten Commandments anymore. We just need to love God and love our neighbor. Well, that is the Ten Commandments. Amen. Though that, is the, that is what the Ten Commandments resemble. I mean, the first four tell us how we love our God. The latter six tell us how we love our neighbor. Amen? So let's not, let's not play this game of just, you know, <laughs> putting, out the, putting, out the, putting away the Ten Commandments so that we can do our own little things, but let us rather have a revelation of the beauty of the Ten Commandments. Amen? So let us look then at the latter six commandments. Uh, honor your parents, number five, six, do not kill, do not commit adultery, seven, eight, do not steal, nine, do not bear false witness, ten, do not covet. It's interesting, the fifth commandment really strikes at the core of God's purpose for the human race, and that is that he wants to, us to, through family relationships, really resemble his character and his way. And, uh, of course, the commandment deals with honoring your parents, but you could also take the principle of the commandment to infer also relationships between, you know, a wife and a husband and, 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 and all other interhuman relationships that we have, friendships. Now, why is this so important? Because this is, again, a manifestation of the character of God. Um, in, um, um, let me see if I have this on the slide here. No, I don't. Yeah, let me read the commandment here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It's a commandment that is linked with a promise of God. Now again, we look into the mirror and we say, okay, wow, yeah. There's, and by the way, in the world today, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering within families. Family relationships are broken, fractured. You know, there's this disunity, and, and we see that as we look in the mirror. We see our own relationship, maybe with our parents, maybe with our children, or maybe with our spouse, or with friends, or whatever it may be. But then as we allow God to write his commandment in our hearts, we actually start seeing that God has a purpose for us 
to be a follower of Jesus. And being a follower of Jesus does not start when I go on a mission trip to the other side of the world. It starts in the home. Because it's easy to travel far, far away where no one knows me. And, you know, to get up and to, you know, I, you, you might think, oh, he's a, he's a real Christian. But if you really want to know if I'm a Christian, you need to ask my wife. Right? Isn't it a wonderful that, that God gives us the promise that the love of God and the beauty and the, and the power of God can actually be manifested in the home. Amen? That is amazing. This is a promise that comes true as we um, embrace the beauty and power of God. You will also see that all of these commandments are really progressive. You know, if you embrace God as the treasure of your life and he becomes everything for you and he reveals himself to you and his name is reflected in you and you give him all of your time and he gives you his time, as these four commandments are established in your life, you will notice it in your home. Amen? You will notice it with the very people that are closest to you. They will see a difference. Amen? Now, take a look at the next three commandments that we're going to take together here. Uh, and we're running out of time, but this, we're going to do this pretty quick. Six, seven, and eight. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Now, if you do a little survey and you ask people, of all the Ten Commandments, which commandment have you been best at? Most people will say, well, I'm not so sure about all of those commandments, but at least number six. I haven't killed anyone. Oh, good for you. You know, I don't know about all the rest, but that one, at least that one, I've kept. <laughs> now, and we almost, we almost look at it as kind of the checklist. Okay, I'm doing okay on that one. Need to work on that one. My friends, each and every commandment has been broken by every single one person in this, every, every single one of us in this room. Now, you might think, no, 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 that's not true. I've never killed someone. Well, Jesus comes along, and he basically puts a microscope on this commandment, puts the commandment under a microscope, and listen to what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So he says, you thought that it was all about the physical killing, but I'm saying that when you are even angry with someone else, you've actually already broken that commandment. Too bad. So we have all sinned, the Bible tells us, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all broken not just one of the commandments, but all ten of them. And again, the mirror is there to remind us of this. Oh, I'm, I am angry with my brother. But then when the commandment is written in the heart, what Jesus is actually saying to you and to me is, you know what? I can do something in your life. I can change your heart. Not to just keep you from physically taking the life of your brother or that individual that you're angry with. I can actually give you the power to conquer where the temptation begins, and that's in the mind. The same when it comes to the commandment regarding adultery. You say, okay, I haven't committed adultery, I'm fine. But then Jesus comes along and says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her, for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. So yes, that's one more that you cannot check off. Okay, so, so there it is. We've broken the commandment, but in the same time, listen very carefully, at the same time, this is a promise, because what is the promise in this? The promise is that, that Jesus is saying, okay, it starts in the mind, and I'll deal with it in the mind. 
I can give you power not only to refrain from the physical act of killing, the physical act of stealing, the physical act of adultery. I can give you, I can give you victory in the mind if you surrender your thoughts to me. Amen? Listen to what he says here. This is powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing a couple of thoughts. How many? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when the temptation comes, surrender to Jesus. Jesus has promised you in the commandments you shall not kill. Trust me. Trust the blood of Jesus. I will conquer in your life. You can overcome anger. You can overcome lust. You can overcome these things in the name of Jesus. Amen? It is a promise from above. Ninth commandments. Do not bear false witness. Now, the opposite of bearing false witness would be to have a true witness, right? To speak truth. Now, isn't it interesting that when we look at this commandment in its first function, we look into the mirror again. Oh, oh, wow, wow. Yeah, many times we have borne false witness. We, you know, we, we call it maybe a white lie, but it's a lie. Because we say, you know, and it's even an exaggeration, you know, the typical fishing. Oh, the fish was like this, and then it becomes like this, and like this, and like this. It's a lie, it's a lie, right? So we ex how many times do we exaggerate? Oh, we do it all the time. We say, I was standing in line forever. No, it's not true. Forever is a long time. You were standing in the line for 12 and a half minutes. That's not forever. So we do bear false witness, and we do it almost every day. Now, how can it happen that we actually bear a true witness? Now, listen to this. This is powerful. Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, for a good tree, uh, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And here comes the punchline. For out of the abundance of the what? Heart, his mouth what? Speaks. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I bear a false witness, what is false? The heart. That's why the commandments are a progression. God is dealing with your heart. And once God deals with your heart and his promise comes to pass that he changes your heart, my friends, out of your mouth will proceed a true witness. Amen? Now let's, let's, let's go now to the very last commandment. And I just love this one because it brings everything together. The last commandment tells us do not covet. Do not covet what your neighbor has, what your other, others have. Do not covet. What does it mean to covet? To covet means to want something that is not yours. So again, first function of the law, you look into the mirror. Oh man, it reveals that I want so much. I want a better career. I want a better job. I want a better position. I want more money. I want this. I want that. I want, 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 want. I covet, 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 covet. But then, when God starts doing something in my life and he writes his commandments in my heart, suddenly God becomes everything for me and I don't want anything else but him. So God is basically saying, when you have me, you will not covet anything else. Amen? That's his promise. 
And my friends, I can testify to that because when you have Christ as your treasure, you don't want any other thing because that treasure is worth everything. Amen? Beautiful. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in closing, I want to show you one last thing before we pray and close. Satan is basically progressing in the opposite direction. It's interesting. We started in Exodus chapter 20 in verse 1, right? And what do we start with? That the lamb has been slain, right? They came out of Egypt, out of that bondage, through the Passover lamb. And then you have commandment 1, commandment 2, commandment 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. When you look at Lucifer and his rebellion in heaven, he began with transgressing the 10th commandment. He coveted the position of God. Okay? He wanted something that was not his. He wanted the position of God. Then he started spreading lies about the God in heaven, right? A false witness. Then he sought to steal the position of God in heaven, commandment 8. And in a sense, he broke his relationship with God like a spiritual divorce, He makes war with Christ and his angels and seeks to murder them, commandment 6. He is cast out of heaven and his rage is now against the family made in the image of God, 5. He attacks the holy time of God revealed in the Sabbath, commandment 4. He attacks the very character and name of God by misrepresenting him, uh, commandment 3. He creates a new image of God for people to bow down to, commandment 2. And ultimately, he makes himself God, commandment number 1. But, and here's the best news of it all, He must, by necessity, take one more step, and he ends up in the bondage of sin, the bondage of Egypt. Amen? Either we are coming out of bondage, or we are heading into bondage. It's one way or the other. And I want to just close with a question here tonight. How many of you want to come out of bondage? (laughs) Amen. How many of you want to come out of the bondage of sin? Amen? Amen. And how many of you want to embrace the commandments of God in your life. Amen. And we're going to specifically tomorrow look at the forgotten commandment, the fourth one, the Sabbath. It's going to be an amazing study, and I look forward to it. And so I hope to see you tomorrow evening. Let's close with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the power of your word. And I pray that as we go from this place, that your word may have an abiding place in our hearts and in our lives. Bring us back tomorrow evening as we continue our series, Certainty in uncertain times. Help us to find that certainty in the person Jesus, for it is only in him that we can truly rest and find the peace that our souls are searching and yearning for. Thank you for being with us this evening. Bless us all on our way homes and bring us safely back together tomorrow night. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.